This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Hey, everybody, this is Vikram Iyer, and we are coming to you live from Washington, D.C., where, as any avid observer of commencement season knows, is also commencement speaking season. And as many schools around the country prepare to send off their students equipped and ready to go into tackling the real world, several of those commencement speakers are picked from the corridors of power right here in Washington, from Secretary Tillerson to President Trump. Folks are tapped to offer their knowledge, their insights, and frankly, their candor about what kind of world they're going to walk into. But That's particularly interesting when we reflect upon the state of our educational system and the opportunities it's yielded for countless generations of Americans, but also the setbacks it's offered along the way. Just a few weeks ago, this nation celebrated the 64th anniversary for Brown v. Board of Education. And to those that know the name or are sometimes looking to brush up on their history, Brown v. Board was a watershed moment in civil rights. On this day, more than six decades ago, as of May 17th, the U.S. Supreme Court held that the concept of separate but equal educational facilities, as had been decided in another landmark case, Plessy v. Ferguson in 1896, were inherently unequal and actually violated the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution's Equal Protection Clause. Linda Brown, who was at the center of that landmark Supreme Court case and who continued throughout her life to fight against racial segregation in public schools, just passed away this March. So as we examine how our students are gearing up to enter this next phase of their life as they spin out of high school and go into college or spin out of college and enter the workforce, we're joined today by the ACLU's Dennis Parker, the director of the Racial Justice Program, to really assess How did Brown v. Board change the dynamics of race relations in this country? What sort of progress or turning backs of progress have we seen when it comes to equal opportunity in the school system? And are there other variables that go well beyond just day-to-day education in our classrooms that inform the racial injustice and inequities that are all, all too often observed, not just in our prisons, not just in our boardrooms and our workplaces when it comes to pay, but when it comes to the longevity of America's identity as an inclusive community. Joining the conversation, Dennis unpacks not only why Brown v. Board continues to be a seminal moment in our history, but what's on the horizon for the ACLU as the current climate of this modern presidency, as well as the debate that all too often exposes racial attitudes in this country in a negative way, are actually changing the landscape of how we are as a people, how the world perceives us as a people, and what's left for us to do about it. This is American Enough with your host, Vikram Iyer. There was the initial period after the Brown decision where there was massive resistance to desegregation, Um, But towards the end of the 60s and throughout the 70s and to some extent the 80s, there were attempts, at least in the southern schools, where they had explicit racial segregation to address it. And and in many ways, the the numbers got better. Um, 
we the 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 trend is almost in the opposite direction now where we are we are seeing at, at least um things not getting substantially better if not in some cases getting worse and so it 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 raises a number of questions at the same time those things are going on i think that there are the things that 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 you described there's the school to prison pipeline and their new studies coming out you know continually that show that there are continuing differences in in the way students of color are disciplined in schools and white students are disciplined and and those differences have implications for for not only whether the kids continue to be involved in schools you know because they're subjected to suspension or expulsion or um or being arrested but really the implications for what the likelihood of their participating fully in society um other than participating in the criminal justice system um and and so those are are continuing concerns i think that there are the things that undercut the support of the public education system on on which i think students of color have always you know relied heavily um and um you know that is everything from at least discussions about about rescinding the guidance about um about school discipline that the Obama um administration put in to the emphasis on 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 privatization through vouchers and an emphasis on religious education institutions and and charter schools um and the impact that that has on on public schools the fact that that many of those things that there have been studies that show that that too often voucher and charter programs have increased the amount of segregation have drained the public education system of funding um and and have undercut the the goal of of i mean one of the goals of brown was i think to to make it clear that in the area of education that 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 we could no longer support um the idea that that you could have separate education systems um that 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 underlying those separate systems um was was stigmatizing to students of color you know part of the importance of brown was that it took a look at the separate but equal policy that had been in effect since the plessy case in the end of the 19th century and and it said you know we can no longer pretend that the separation that exists in america is based on anything other than supremacy and hierarchy and i think a lot of the things that are going on now uh when you talk about public space um are are things that go against what brown was was designed to do and whether it's you know the fact that you could be have the police called on you for sleeping in your dorm at yale or for waiting for a friend at starbucks the fact that 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 people would think that it is appropriate to penalize football players for protesting um 
police misconduct against people of color and even suggest that they are somehow not Americans, um, that's symptomatic of a really disturbing trend. Um, and, you know, when you add it to those other things that you described, the immigration policies, the the, the idea that, that America, you know, should come first, or even, even the idea of making, making the country great again and hearkening back to a, a time when, when it was not great for everyone. I mean, not that it's great for everyone now, but, um, but the idea that there was a time that, that that was good, and even though that time excluded people on the base of race or ethnicity or gender, um, so all of these are 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 things that are are areas of concern. And I I think that in, in many respects, I mean, the ACLU has led a tremendous amount of not only just thought leadership and advocacy, but frankly, um, you know, made judicial strides with the courts to clarify various elements of these systemic challenges that are informing discrimination and inequity issues. Um, at the same time, though, it seems that we're at this point where um, for every step forward we make, um, there are continuous um, erosions of that progress along the way. Um, I mean, you had mentioned that there are a whole litany of variables that speak to um, elements of inequality. And even if you were to take a look at celebrating Brown v. Board, I believe it's the, what now, 64th anniversary, um, it, 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 I guess it's, it's curious to me as to whether integrating these public facilities have actually made lives better for um, people of color, Americans of color. Um, and I'm you know, when you think about elements of um, incarceration rates, or if you think about elements of, um, you know, the the taking out of material in textbooks, if you're thinking about redrawing congressional districts or creating new budgetary line items and erasing other ones, um, to how much emphasis should we put on Brown v. Board and school integration as a really important um, bright spot in America's jurisprudence to make a march towards social and racial equality when there continues to be both legislative, legal, and frankly just um, cultural um, steps to undo that progress, even if it's outside of the confines of a school. I think that, that, that it is important to put a lot of emphasis on it because the importance of Brown goes really far beyond education and although that was the particular area that that the, the the litigators who brought the case decided to focus on it was with a clear intent to end jim crow in the united states and you know they 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 made a strategic decision to do that in the context of of education but but they're they're their sights were set on a really much larger target. And I think it was significant, you know, it was an important part, <laughs> excuse me, of, of, of shaping everything that happened in civil rights from public transportation to voting to employment. You know, it was an integral part of changing the way that we looked at America. You know, one of the things that 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 a lot of research has shown is that one of the things driving the the need for there to be a unanimous decision from the Supreme Court 
that's striking down segregation in schools was a recognition that it made it hard for the United States to condemn particularly um, Russia um, and, and other countries for human rights violations when it was perpetuating this massive human rights violation within its own, own borders. Um, and, and all of the things that, that, that you're doing, I mean, I think it's important to, <clears throat> to, to point out that those things that you described are directly contradictory to the spirit of Brown. That it was, Brown was an effort to, to say that we are not two separate or a number of separate countries, we are one country and that everyone should have the opportunity, the opportunity to participate in civil society. And the things, the examples that you described are all examples where we're cutting back on that, where we're making it harder to vote, where, where we're making it, 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 it harder for people who are viewed as being different to enter into the country, where we're making it harder for people who are, who are looking for, for um, to preserve their lives by coming to this country, something that has always been 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 you know a possibility um, whether we're making it hard to even occupy public space equally for people depending on their race or their religion or their ethnicity it is it is a very strong counter narrative to what I think Brown was trying to do um, and and you talked about in the beginning about your response to the election and and it's difficult you know I, I I wake up every morning and listen to the news and hear all of the um, each of the ways that we seem to be backtracking and 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 losing the progress that, that we've made or doing things that threaten that that progress but at the same time I don't think that that these things are something that began in November of 2016. I mean, I, um, I kind of feel it's like watching one of those home, um, home restoration shows and, and they, they tear up the carpet and they realize that the floor is completely rotted. Um, yeah. That floor was rotten before it was just covered. No, absolutely. And, and I think like, and you've spoken about this um, in the past as well, that I think far too often when the story of Brown v. Board is told in, you know, in cinema or in textbooks or just in, in water cooler conversation, we tend to present this moment as the beginning of sort of like a, a, a nonstop avalanche of, of school desegregation victories that led up to that one moment. Um, but when it comes to the reality, um, of like present day school segregation that that couldn't be further from the truth like not only did the ruling inflame racial tensions and responses to integration you know mobs formed violence in Mansfield Texas formed um, and 
even now, when you take a look at the percentages, I think um, UCLA's Center on Education Statistics puts out data that says that, you know, the percentage of black students in the South who attended a school that was at least 50% white was about 0% in 54, right before Brown v. Board, 44% in 89, and I think only 23% in 2011, not too long ago. Um, And then when you layer on top of that, you know, the trends that you spoke to about what Secretary DeVos has done in terms of advocating for choice um, or what President Obama tried to do by taking away federal aid for those cities and towns that have failed to address housing segregation as a, you know, informative of school segregation and then having Trump delay that. All of these different pieces of the pie, whether it's modern day under this the tent of this administration or sort of a slow erosion over time, have laddered up to these broader challenges and that it's not just one president, but rather kind of these um, whole hosts or tapestry of issues that have challenged or chipped away at that that core progress from that point in time. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right, that you can't, um, you, you can't um, underestimate the resistance. Even, I mean, you know, when you think about it, the Brown decision itself, um, you know, I there may be other decisions where the, where the Supreme Court has said that there is a fundamental constitutional right at stake. Um, one one that I mean, you know, remember the language of Brown was to say that the policy of segregation damages children, you know, the most vulnerable people, in a way that is unlikely ever to be undone. That's an extraordinary thing to say, that we're hurting children in a way that that they may never be able to recover from. But in spite of recognizing that damage, you know, the Supreme Court says, and we're going to address it with all deliberate speed. And, and you know, again, there may be other examples where you've said you have a constitutional right to do something, um, but we're not going to give you the relief right away, well, you know, we'll try to be thoughtful and careful and take our time. You know, you don't hear that. Um, and and that, that may have been part of the reason that there was some of the, the resistance, but I, I think a, a good part of the resistance was a recognition that it was a challenge to the system of white supremacy that had been in place since the country started. Um, and, and, and I think the things that, that you've been talking about are other examples of challenges to white supremacy that, that, that people are beginning to, to recognize as, or, 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 or to view as a threat. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's hard to give up power when when you've enjoyed it so unconditionally for so long but it is ultimately something that 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 i would say is you know violates the the central beliefs or what should be the central beliefs of the country agreed like a basic a basic reflection of basic equality um i i think that you know without sort of preaching to the choir here I would love to get your views on kind of the shape of the current state of play in terms of all these different um, attributes 
informing the inequality or the racial inequity that we see. And specifically, you know, we saw um, in a judicial nominee uh, from this administration and Wendy Bitter in a uh, famed Senate Judiciary Committee for, to put her up on the bench, uh, she you know, refused to acknowledge whether she agreed with the um, majority opinion in Brown, in Brown v. Board. Um, and you would think that a federal judgeship um, not acknowledging that basic equality is a policy worth aspiring towards in this country is, is a little nerve-wracking, to say the least. And I bring that up because regardless of your politics, as you pointed out, regardless of the president, um, there have been challenges that continue to persist for this country. In many respects, though, that has been kind of the beauty of America's deliberative democracy, right? That we, that in MLK's famous words, that the long arc of history bends towards this justice and that even if uh, brick by brick, it takes blood, sweat and tears and a removal of a brick or two along the way to take progress backwards, that we, in pursuit of a more perfect union, can aspire towards more of that equality, whether it starts in the schools or whether deals with wages in, in the workplace or whether it deals with arrest rates. Um, there's a lot of room of progress to be realized. And I'm wondering when we hear things like um, a Wendy Vitter nomination kind of not even endorse what is a, a seminal outcome for American progress like Brown v. Board, or we see that um, rates of the school-to-prison pipeline are still staggeringly high for people of colors and, and, and specifically young black men. Is that from your perspective, kind of a stain or blemish on the American experiment? Or do you think it's core to the fact of who we've always been, that we that we try and make that pursuit for a union that's better for all, but we'll have some inevitable impasses or setbacks along the way? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 is, it is difficult putting it in, in perspective. Um, and, and, and I think it is clearly a stain. And I think a lot of the things that are happening are, are, um, are stains. And I wonder, you know, I, I think we have to find a way to get past this. Um, and I think we have to find a way to, to get back on course, but, but it's not gonna be an easy task. And as you say, you know, there are some people who say, well, you know, she doesn't want to give opinions on on, on 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 you know particular cases, and that you know these cases may come back. But 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 if you can't issue an opinion, I mean you know as I as I pointed out, Justice Roberts, you know not any sort of progressive hero, recognized the fundamental rightness of Brown, and and, and you know to me to. To, to say I can't comment on that is like, you know, asking someone, well, what do you think of the 13th Amendment and, and have them say, well, you know, that issue may come up again. So I'm not going to I'm not going to opine on whether getting rid of slavery was a bad thing. I mean, I think it is almost that fundamental. Um, and. And it would not have happened before, um, you know, now. It, it, um, unless you were talking about, you know, decades ago, um, so so it it is it is disturbing, and I guess the question then becomes, where do you go from here? Um, and 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 I use that example of the home renovation shows, 
the positive thing about tearing up the rug and finding that the, the, the floor is rotten is that at least you know what you have to fix. And you at least have an opportunity to fix it before you fall through the floor, you know, before you were caught by surprise because the rot underneath was, was, was not clear to everyone. Um, I mean, I think we're seeing, we're seeing the rot. And the question is how we deal with it. Yeah, and that, that's very well put because I think, you know, you had even pointed out, put the rhetoric aside for a second. And while, like, you know, the overtures and the commentary going on in this country, particularly from the Oval Office, are very concerning, including our, our country's own chief of staff, um, John Kelly, who obviously served admirably himself in the armed services, but described um, the Civil War as simply a disagreement that could have been resolved through compromise, as you have even written and reflected upon. Um, those are very jarring statements, but pushing rhetoric aside in terms of actualizing a path forward, you've had the privilege to serve at um, different levels um, as you've weighed in on these matters. Uh, specifically, you had a chance to work uh, on behalf of um, a former governor of New York, um, taking a look at how civil rights bureaus at the state level or the regional level can also inform some of the these challenges and these gaps in, in a social embrace of inclusion. I'm curious what you see, you know, again, putting culture and rhetoric aside, as cities become more of the bastion of experimentation and states in terms of enacting policies or toying with policies that maybe Congress or the U.S. government um, has too much um, gridlock to, to move or advance, are there actions that you're witnessing at the regional level or the hyper-local level, um, either through your perch at the ACLU or in, in prior roles, that are able to move the ball here that maybe other policymakers or other cities, both at home as well as around the world, can take a look at and say, here is a, a way in which we can make a, a, a steady, stride, sorry, steady stride towards more inclusion? Yeah, I mean, and, and I think we are starting to see examples of... of of either states, you know, challenging some some federal um, action, which which makes it more difficult for them to protect the 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 civil and human rights of their of their residents, of of cities taking a look at you know, in New Jersey where they look at questions about um, about bail in in ways that are very different than than. Than, than 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 Attorney General Sessions is you know talking about criminal justice, that 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 you know states taking a look at um, and localities looking at uh, the immigration policies and and not cooperating with with um, with efforts to to um, to deputize the resources of the cities or the states to assist in in deportations you know those are all examples of ways that 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 you know sadly for a while i think a lot of the emphasis is is going to shift from what the federal government does to what states and localities can do of course the problem is that that not all states feel the need to step up to fill that void um, and, um, and so, you know, your experience is going to be different depending on where you live, um, where there are some places where, where there, you know, maybe, um, a desire to, 
to participate in some of the decisions that, that the federal government is making. And I think that the, the residents of those states will, will suffer because of it. And you had, um, you know, just, just to close out here, you, you in your role at the um, ACLU have had a, a, a leading voice not only on um, many of these challenges, but have also helped lead um, uh, victories at those regional levels across the country. Um, certainly there was a, um, a, a good positive step in South Carolina uh, recently in terms of the repeal of a disturbing school law um, that you know, invoked additional um, uh, racist attempts in that region. Um, and similarly, you all have advanced either through amicus beef briefs at the federal court, um, but through a variety of other levers, um, a lot of progress in this space. So for anyone that's disturbed about uh, this kind of attitude in America or this veneer of America's identity, um, what, what could you let our listeners know about sort of what's in the pipeline for the ACLU or for your work at the helm of the Racial Justice Project? I mean, we're going to be continuing to look at, at what we can do, both in terms of challenging things the federal government does, but also working with, 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 with what happens in a more local basis. And, and I think that that South Carolina case is a good example of, of what could be done. Um, where where we we brought a lawsuit challenging um, a law that that criminalized behavior by young people that is probably typical adolescent behavior. Um, we survived, or, or or we won in the court of appeals to to be able to proceed with the case, and and it forced the legislature to take a look at this law, and it decided that um, that it was a a law that wasn't fair. And so they repealed it and it was signed by the governor. We've had examples. We're doing a lot of work that deals with what is in essence the criminalization of uh, poverty um, through jailing people for an inability to pay fines and fees, really, really excessive fines and fees. And we've had instances in Mississippi, for example, we, we brought a case against um, court practices in courts in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi. And then that city and the lawyer who represented them helped in discussions with other parts, with other cities in the state and with the chief judge to say, wait a minute, this is something we need to take a look at. We institutionally are, are recognizing that sometimes um, you can create change by reaching out to people who you may not have before, so that, for instance, on 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 a lot of de-incarceration issues, there are political conservatives who recognize that keeping a large number of people in jail who are really not threats is a waste of resources and it's a waste of of opportunity and potential. And so you see states making changes in bail practices, in sentencing practices, even sometimes states which you would think of as being conservative. Um, so, so finding some way to, 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 to recognize that. We have been involved in even looking at questions um, that come up in, in prosecutors' races for different cities, not in the sense of supporting a candidate, but in the sense of bringing the issues about what a prosecutor does to the forefront 
in the hopes that that you would that it would it, that people would vote for someone who furthers these issues that recognizing that making a large number of arrests for really minor crimes ultimately doesn't protect public safety that that practices of arresting you know people differently for for things like marijuana uh, possession you know which has an enormous racial and ethnic impact um, really is not a public safety practice that should be encouraged and and so you know a lot of our efforts are aimed at that you know we are looking at in fact um, in uh, Milwaukee we are involved in a case about street stops and searches um, where where we look at data and look at what's happening and and realize that there are things that that are unfair and that have this racial impact and and so we will be continuing to do that but I think we'll be urging that that everyone do that that, that's great um, I mean no no shortage of, of levers to pull as well as um, activity from the ACLU, I think, gives a lot of us confidence and hope that not only are there marches towards kind of that more inclusive America that we all hope to realize, but also that there are, are very significant attempts to to raise awareness around this and start a conversation. Um, I, I, I'm going to let you go here, but I just one quick thought. When you think of all of the hats that you've been able to wear pursuing this kind of work, you know, really trying to understand the, the underlying issues that inform a school to prison pipeline, leading the racial justice program at the ACLU, working at the Civil Rights Bureau, um, in the office of the New York AG, um, even your work with the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund, with all of these different um, opportunities to inform America's identity, to you, what does it mean to be American enough in the eyes of others or under the guise of these modern times? <laughs> the importance of the one that post-racial we are clearly not post-racial um, in any way and and I think that what we are seeing is is clear indications that that we are still in a very fundamental way depriving people of the opportunity to fully participate in society and and to recognize to the whole nation's advantage um, that that we need to encourage um, a recognition and an embracing of 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 the full of of everyone, every citizen in the or, or every resident of the country, that we need to recognize that our strength has been diversity, and that that one of the things that at least made it possible to 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 be a great country is because we build on the experience, the contributions of you know people coming from other countries of of. Of the the extraordinary contributions that 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 people of color have made in this country, and and we need to 
for the benefit of those people and for the benefit of everyone really um, really make sure that that we recognize that being American doesn't mean just being white. Dennis Parker, thank you so much for your leadership and all of your public service to that identity over the years. And thank you for joining American Enough. It's been my pleasure. This has been American Enough with Vikram Iyer. American Enough is a production of Mouth Media Network. Contact Vikram with your comments and questions at 844-4-VIKRAM and connect with the show on social media at American Enough. Theme music by Chris Thomas. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. To learn more about Mouth Media Network and how you can partner with this podcast, visit MouthMediaNetwork.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Mouth Media Network. No portion of this show may be reproduced, published, or rebroadcast without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.